guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we are doing a little special episode that is Frontline Moms. We are going to speak to Dr. Hina Talib, who is a pediatrician in New York and normally takes care of tweens, teens, and young adults. But since the pandemic, she her life has drastically changed, as all of our lives have changed, not only in her home life to keep her two young children safe, but also to continue working and taking care of all of us. Um, you're going to hear a very interesting conversation. I didn't want to let her go at the end. She was just, she has so much more and she's going to have to come back. She was brilliant. She she definitely is going to have to come. So, I mean, this this episode is very COVID related. Um, Hina is delightful. She's so well-spoken. So I really think that you are going to enjoy listening to her. Well, first of all, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do. I mean, every single day I'm reading stories about um, different healthcare professionals and how how you guys are, are really, you know, you're keeping everything going and you're putting your own health at risk. And if you have families, your family's health at risk in order to to help the masses. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for absolutely everything that you do. Why don't you tell a little, just a sort of brief yeah. bio about yourself sure. in terms of, you know, pre-COVID, mm. COVID, and then now, as we understand, there's another transition now. Mm-hmm. Um, so go for okay. it. Okay. So my name is Hina Talib. I'm a pediatrician here in New York City, and I am an adolescent medicine specialist. So I uh, only take care of teenagers and I do everything that a teenager needs. And um, so before COVID, before this pandemic, I would see patients in person in an outpatient clinic. And then I also attend to patients who are admitted, so hospitalized. So if they have something that's significant enough and they're a teenager and they're in the hospital, I might take care of them there. So those are the physical places where I would get to see patients and get to see families. And um, and then everything, you know, January, we started to hear about news, mostly on social media from other countries and the doctor mom groups on Facebook and other places were kind of paying attention to it, but kind of also not because it was far away. Um, and then it just got closer and closer. And by the time March hit, you know, it was sort of w- like waiting that like anticipation for we know what's coming, but we're not hearing it to the extent that we want to be hearing it from the city and the, and the state and the government and our, even our hospitals. And, and, and then when it hit, when, when everything basically shut down, it was very jarring. It was very jarring. Um, and so I actually had the experience of as a pediatrician being deployed to by my hospital to take care of adult patients uh, who were who were suffering from COVID-19. And that's really remarkable. And um, I have a lot of feelings about that. And that deployment lasted just a short while because as you know, after New York City shut down, the numbers went down. Like a few weeks later, it was I mean it was like watching a miracle that our numbers went from horrific in the Bronx to um still bad, still awful, but at least they were going down for the first time. Um, and, and so then they were able to take people back who weren't 
you know, trained to be adult doctors back to where they, where they were practicing. And so for me, that means now I'm seeing patients on telehealth and I've never done that before. Um, and it's been wonderful and it's been new. Uh, and I also still see patients in person who need to be seen, whether they have um, COVID-19 or not, if they're a teenager that has something that needs to be seen, it needs to be seen. And so we still see patients both in the hospital and out of the hospital on a limited basis. What did that deployment look like in terms of like logistically? Like did, did someone call you one night and say, by the way, tomorrow, please report to the hospital and we're going to show you what did they even what did they show you? What did they tell you? How did they prepare you? Yeah, I mean, there were so many. Um, it was email overload and memo overload, to be honest, as build up towards that. And um, we could have predicted it just being in the hospital and seeing the numbers every day that they were sharing with us. Uh, and, you know, it went in phases. So first they were deploying people who are, say, dermatologists or gastrointestinal doctors, but still adult. And so that was more, you know, that was closer to them. And um, and then when it got to the point where they said to our children's hospital that we need your help and um, and our children's hospital changed call signs from being a children's hospital to being a children and adult care hospital. I mean, I've never heard of that happening in this country. It was amazing, um, but it happened in, in steps. So it wasn't a total surprise because we saw what was happening in the greater Montefiore health system. So we, we saw the numbers and it was kind of sort of like, well, where, what, you know, at some point we're going to have to be called to help and either they split us up and send us off to different units or areas of the hospital, or we stay as a team. We stay as a team where we know everybody. We know our nurses, we know our patients, we know our staff, and we work as a team to take care, you know, and just expand what we normally used to do. Um, other parts of the phase, for example, we started taking care of 30 year olds. And so we never did that before either, but that was kind of an early phase to try and offload some of the adult medicine, um, overload that they the surge that they were seeing how different is the care of teenagers from the care of adults what does that look like yeah i mean it's it's a stepping stone so i was really afraid i mean i was afraid on so many levels and we can talk about all the mom reactions too but i was i was afraid um in terms of that question, I was afraid, like imposter syndrome. I was afraid I couldn't do it. I was afraid I didn't remember how to take care of an adult. I was afraid I don't, you know, and that initial fear reaction, I can't do it. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and, um, you know, maybe would I cause more harm than good? And, um, and then very quickly, once you start to read about, uh, COVID-19, it kind of comes back. I mean, medicine is medicine. It's sort of a language that we speak. Um, and it's kind of like Spanish, like if you, if you, even if you haven't spoken in a long time, if you had to learn it really, really quickly, um, and if you, you know, if you were motivated, you could, it's just, it's just, um, getting over that hump. And so the first adult patient that I took care of, I, you know, I was so nervous and nervous and sweating because you're covered head to toe in all this gear and you're not used to that. And then nervous because I was just nervous. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, I've been talking to adults adults my whole life. I've been talking to the parents of my patients my whole medical life. And so it wasn't like this alien being that I didn't know how to touch or take care of. It was it was basically like the families of the patients that I've been taking care of. And and I felt very at ease as soon as you just had that first conversation with them. I mean, they're grateful. You're grateful um, that they're doing better and that you're having a conversation. And um, and so it, it kind of just comes back. Now, I I open the news every single day and I I my news consumption has gone way down just because mm -hmm. I'm finding it to be so depressing. Right. But is there any any like 
glimmers of hope, any, any, anything that we can kind of look for, anything that we can do other than staying home? The glimmer of hope is that social distancing worked. You know, I hoped it would work, but we were told it would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I'm an anxious person and I need to just sort of see the future all the time and I can't. And I, and so that it did work was to me was really hopeful. Now it's not the answer. It's not going to stop the virus. It's not going to cure the virus, but that, that was, I mean, the fact that we passed our peak in New York was just something to be celebrated. In our hospital, we have this thing called the happy code, where every time a patient is discharged from the hospital who had COVID-19 or is extubated, uh, they play Empire State of Mind and people dance. And it's just so awesome because we were hearing the overhead codes for, you know, the not happy events. And then all of a sudden, as you pass the peak, we had so many happy codes that they had to bunch them throughout the day because people were like, we can't listen to Rana. We can't listen to this like all day long. Um, and so that was like, you know, that's wonderful, but people are doing dances and, um, it was, you know, Alicia Keys sent us a little message to all the staff there and it was just so sweet. And, um, and so those things are happy and that, that worked. And then looking forward, you know, I think that it's really amazing to see how humanity, how we're all kind of coming together. And I see that in the support that people like me in the front lines. I mean, you're doing this, you're reaching out to me. I don't think we would have been having this conversation about any other, you know, flu or what have you. Um, and it's just been so wonderful, really, to feel that support from New York. Um, the first time I heard that 7 p.m. clap for heroes, the clap for essential workers, um, I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was like St. Patrick's Day something or SantaCon. Like it sounded really loud and nuts. And, um, and I looked out the window and I was like, what the heck is that? I went out to the balcony and then I went on Twitter because I was like, what? I don't even know how to find out what this is, but people are screaming for some reason. And, um, and then I, I found out and then I started crying and it was, it just, I think the emotions just came out and it was sort of like, wait, is this, could this be for, for me, for people like me, for people who are not, safe at home right now because that's not, you know, our calling right now. And, um, and I had my two-year-old and my four-year-old and I ran them out to the balcony and they had no idea what was going on, but they started banging pots and, and now it's become part of our bedtime routine. You know, we do that and then like promptly get, get to bed. Um, (laughs) that's the seven o'clock. It's like the end of the day and we're going to do that. And I, and, and I've been, I've been good about not saying that it's, you know, in the beginning, the first day I was like, this is for me, this is for your mama. Your mama is somebody who goes out there. Um, and now of course I make it about, you know, all the other essential workers who are out there and who, you know, don't have the privilege of staying, um, safe at home or didn't make the choice to stay safe at home. Well, it happens. I mean, because it is. It, you're absolutely right. There, there are many. There are many for whom it's not a choice, and then there are some for whom it is a choice that they're choosing to to put themselves in the line of fire to fight this incredible fight and um, and rise to the occasion day after day, night after night. And I'm curious. You know, you mentioned the camaraderie of the hospital. That like dance scene must. It just. It's kind of blowing my mind as like a weird Grey's Anatomy. Like you know, <laughs> only in Grey's Anatomy would that ever have happened pre this pandemic. And now it's yeah. Right. <laughs> it's Grey's Anatomy meets um, TikTok. Like all of a sudden, everybody <laughs> just wants to do a dance, and that's okay. That's great. Right. <laughs> and I'm curious to hear like. You do. You have a four-year-old, you have a two-year-old at home, and you have this incredible skill set that you, you know, that you're able to offer people. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you rationalize that in your mind? Yeah, like, how do you keep yeah. your family safe and, yeah. and provide this incredible service? Yeah. I mean, in, in all honesty, you know, I went through years and years and years of infertility to get these two kiddos. And, mm-hmm. um, and like that, you know, when you're, when it first hit and, um, my first reaction was, 
you know, I'm, I've been in New York for, I don't know, 20 years, a long time, but I'm from Kansas City. And my first reaction was, we just, we just have to get out of here. We just have to go home to my mom and dad in Kansas and let's just get out of here. I'll, you know, I'll try to take a leave. I'll try to do, and my husband, you know, he works in finance. He can work from anywhere. Um, and he and his office had been, you know, sort of evacuated to work from home you know, long before talk of that happened in my my office. Um, and so he had been at home for a while anyway. And I thought, all right, well, maybe we should just bail. And so that was the pan- you know, I was panic buying stuff um, on Amazon. I was um, what else did I do that was silly or just, you know, fear based. Like I was just afraid. Oh, I was sharing and reading everything I could find online about this. And I couldn't stop myself. And and people were looking to me, oh, Hina, you're, you know, you're, you're the doctor in our friends group, like what? And so I was sharing everything and it was just too much. And I was afraid. And then I had these kids that I worked really, really hard with a team of people to get. And I just, it's very important to me to be their mama for the long haul. And that, that's a higher, that's a high calling. Um, and it, it was a higher calling than I think anything else that I initially, my initial reaction was. And then um, I, when you started to see what was actually happening on the ground in, in the hospitals, um, it, it was so devastating. I mean, I've never seen anything like this before. I've been very you know privileged in my medical career. I've worked in New York City my whole medical career. Um, since medical school and on, and I, we've, we have resources and we help anybody in New York who needs the help. Like we find a way. The city is amazing like that. And, um, and so I've never, I've never been in a situation where we call crisis care, where we actually are making hard decisions. We don't have everything that we ideally would want. We're taking care of patients in ways that we wouldn't, you know, normally do. And, um, and so it's just seeing that and hearing my colleagues, like people I know were in the trenches. Um, one of my other doctor mom friends said to me, she said, Hina, I don't think I could live with myself if, if we didn't help right now. And she said that to me and it, and it like stuck in my head and I thought about it. And then a couple of days later, it was, I, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I could not get that phrase out of my head. And it was true. Like, I don't think I could live with myself if I didn't help. And, and of course, when, when you're coming to, you know, balancing the risk to my family and my husband, my kiddos, um, you know, I made certain boundaries for myself, which was, I, I will not work without the PPE. And, um, and that I think was, you know, um, in the beginning, the fear part of it, you know, you just hear all this lack of PPE, lack of PPE, but the hospitals moved heaven and earth. And so did so many people in New York. I mean, there were so many kind of on the grounds, grassroots, uh, grassroots groups of people who um, got doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers PPE from like basements of places. Like it was amazing. Um, and, and so once, you know, once I sort of got over that and realized, okay, we have the protection that we need. There's really, you know, there's, I, I have to do it because I could not, I literally couldn't live with myself if I, if I didn't do something to help this pandemic right now. Um, and so it was just balancing and then you, and you know, and you kind of have to figure out, so I needed my, I needed my body to be protected as much as it possibly humanly could be. And then there was all these, there's these crazy rituals of when we come home now. I mean, I bought scrubs for the first time. I mean, I'm not an OR doctor. I do work in the inpatient side, but we don't wear scrubs. We dress up and we wear nice shoes and, you know, and so everything, all that went out the window. And I, for the first time since medical school, was like, how do I buy scrubs? And what are, what are nice scrubs? <laughs> and, um, and shoes, everything had to be washable. So like, 
you know, gone were the doctor bags that I, you know, have treated myself to. And it's like everything needed to be washable. And like you come home, you take it all off. It goes all in the laundry. Um, you sanitize, you know, with a wipe, your phone, your ID badge. And I basically was taking Ziplocs. A lot of us were just using Ziplocs to take to work. Um, I found out that an iPhone works through a Ziploc. I had no idea about that before. Um, and, and so, you know, you just, what you can control, you did. And then you have to sort of trust in the people that are kind of around you, your team to help, help guide you to making, you know, to practicing medicine in the safest way possible. But it was a risk. Um, it is a risk. I mean, there's not, it's not like there's no risk. I'm leaving the home when most of my friends are, you know, my other mom friends are not. Um, Although, you know, people get, you, there's things you have to do, like get groceries and things like that. But I'm leaving the home to go. I live in the city and I have to commute up to the Bronx. And then I, um, I'm there working and it's all, it's, it is a risk, but it's a risk that I, I just had, I don't, I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't take. That's, that's really admirable. Now that you're working with children again, so you're back taking care of, of yeah. kids again. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you seeing other than, other than COVID-19 cases, yeah. um, emotionally, what are you seeing from, from teens? Are you seeing an uptick in anxiety, depression, nervousness? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're asking. So it's, it's really the second wave that I'm, I'm, it's sort of like now that feeling that I had that anticipation of, oh my God, what's going to happen with COVID-19 disease? We don't know about it. Um, it's new. Now it's turned into, whoa, there is a second wave. It's a real wave. We, we know that it's going to happen and what can we do to help? And that wave is mental health. And for sure, we've already seen it in our teen patients. Um, you know, I take care of tweens, teens and young adults and we have seen anxiety. You know, if they had anxiety disorder already, they, they're having a flare. Um, if they haven't before, there are concerns, you know, are they having an anxiety disorder or is it normal worry and normal anxiety? We're seeing depression. We're seeing eating disorders. And some of it might just be that parents weren't observing these things because the kiddos weren't in the home all the time. But now that they are in the home, they're kind of realizing, oh, okay, these patterns may or may not be normal. We may, we may want to talk to somebody about it. Sleep. Oh my gosh, with the teens, you know, it's just, it's been, I mean, there are some good things in that, you know, normal, it's good for teens to, and it's normal for teens to be able to sleep in and schools have them waking up way too early. And so for some of them, it's been good that they can sleep until eight. Um, but there are others that have become total night owls and, and that's, you know, like flipped. Like I've had parents ask me, my kiddo is turning into a vampire and I don't know what to do. Um, and so sleep disorders, which feed into all of the anxiety and depression, it all goes hand in hand. Um, and so we've seen an uptick in all of those things. And so some of the patients that we're still seeing in person and admitting to the hospital actually have harmed themselves or have eating disorders that are um, getting dangerous and and so need to be admitted to the hospital. And this is this is the second wave. And this is something that everybody needs to talk about more and be aware of and try and reach out to people who might need that extra help and encourage them to to call in if they can. You mentioned um, doctor mom groups a couple of times, and I'm so intrigued by like these yeah. subset cultures of mothers that you and and to have someone uh, who's in a similar boat to you, I'm sure is really, really just you need that. You need that bond. Um, I'm curious to hear what you guys tell each other. Like, how do you help each other make sense of this beyond what your what your friend shared? Like, I couldn't live myself. I didn't help. But how do you you know, with, without a finite end date in sight, without a, without like a, you know, now we know type of answer. What do you, mm-hmm. how do you make sense of it? You're doctors, you're scientists, like you, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sure it's wired into you to try to look for answers. And, and I'm curious what you tell your friends and how you guys are talking about it. 
Yeah, some of the some of the my personal heroes in in all of this have been the mental health doctors and and other professionals and they you know sometimes at these in these groups they're quiet because you know in these doctor mom groups it may you know it may be about medical things that are happening to their kiddos and more maybe more often than we talk about mental health things and now all of them are you know loud and proud about we can help we you know this is this is what we do and let us help and so um i think they're some of the most vocal and most helpful people in our doctor moms group just talking about anxiety breathing mindfulness meditation tools to protect yourself because we're under stress right now mm-hmm. and then um journaling gratitude resilience all these things that are you know sort of being talked about but you hearing it from another doctor mom who's a psychiatrist or you know a therapist um who does this for a living you you know it's and also it's hard, right? Like I don't have time. Like to, if you told me pre-COVID, I didn't take care of myself. I, I it's, it's a mom thing. Like I, I don't know, you know, I, I, there are things that I'm probably late on um, doing for my own health. And so then COVID hit and now it's like, you tell us, oh, you need to find time to have therapy. Like I, 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 I wouldn't know when to do that, but they're making little videos and putting them in these mom's groups of just therapists, just five minutes on this, five minutes on gratitude, five minutes on journaling, oh, wow. five minutes on, and you're able to just, you know, access it in a way that I, you know, I think I, maybe I, maybe, maybe I should be able to make time for it, but I find that hard. And so they're really becoming the rock stars of these mom groups to, to help us navigate. How do we talk about bad news? How do we, how do we explain things to our partners? How do we explain things to our kids? How do you talk to your kids about the fact that you're leaving the home when everybody else is saying, you know, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that we, you know, why we're doing it. And, um, and also measuring it so that you're not scaring them in any way. Um, it's hard because it's, it's, you don't, you know, you want to, you want to, it's kind of like fake it till you make it a little bit with the bravery. Like sometimes I don't like that word hero at all because it implies this bravery that I don't feel like I have. I feel like I've gone through all the feels of being super scared, super panicked, super neurotic. Um, and, and then, you know, and then sort of like, okay, well, no, people are organizing to help. New York City has our back. The country has our back. Um, people are flying here from other parts of the country to work in some of our hardest hit hospitals. That's it's just it's so that's inspiring. That's really inspiring. Um, and taking on risk for, you know, for themselves to do that. That's that's kind of amazing. And so um, I think that that, though, you know, the mental health people are, are my real heroes. I hate the word hero, but um, but fake it till you make it like maybe maybe I can I can be curious or flirt with being a hero. Um, one one foot in front of the other. We know if we're seeing mm-hmm. these um, with with children, especially if some of our listeners, I mean, Daphne and our, my children, they're pretty young. Um, but for for those listeners who have tweens and teens and and beyond, what how should they speak to their children? What what should they do if they're seeing any kind of self harming behavior or any kind of anxiety? Um, what do they do? You know, the most important thing is to recognize that we that worries and anxieties and anxious feelings are not they're normal right now it's a normal reaction to stress and i think that sometimes as as myself being a neurotic mom you know i it's sort of want to jumping to what does this mean and and how can i fix it and um how do we like work through it and instead the you know the best first approach really is to just take a deep breath 
um, and try not to fix it, but let them know that you were there and validate them. So to really just use your feeling words, see what you're, you know, say what you're describing. I see that you're upset and, um, and I get that. I understand that. I, I feel it too. Um, I'm struggling too. And, um, to, if you do that from the beginning before maybe some of these, some of these more concerning things might happen, then you've created a space where they can be open with their feelings, which I think would, then if things get worse, then they'll be more likely to kind of reach out to you to, um, to troubleshoot and brainstorm and figure out a path together. Um, but if you're at all concerned, I mean, a big message here is, is that pediatrician offices all across the country, just like other small businesses, want business. So they, they really, really want you to call them and, um, a mental health visit or a parenting, you know, question is actually totally appropriate right now. And, um, and they, they, you know, by and large, people have moved to telehealth and, um, and they're there for you. So if you have questions, reach out. And it's amazing. I mean, um, if, if none of you guys have done the telehealth thing yet or help is telehealth, telehealth. I don't know. It's like, it's like Zoom. It's Zoom. I did. (laughs) Carmen had, Carmen had an eye exam. My daughter who was running in and out of here had an eye exam. She wears glasses the other day. Wow. Via, via telehealth. And I had to download the app on my phone and she Mm -hmm. literally was administered the the eye exam. Obviously it's not the same as being face to face, but it's something, you know, and we've definitely, it's been really nice to to have these check-ins and realize, you know, even the other problems still go on, you know, all these things where you're afraid, you're afraid to reach out and, and life doesn't stop. Life does not stop for COVID. Life does not stop for COVID and nor should it, but we just have to be smart and we have to really focus on what we can control and what we can't control. We have to just sit with it a little bit and then just sort of, you know, figure out, well, how do we get through that? And it's really hard when you have, you know, for you, you're pregnant. And so that adds like this whole other layer of you need these appointments, but then it kind of goes back to, well, do you, and did you, and, and was that, was that making things, you know, was that making it even more hard to have to go in for these appointments and how, and the fact that they are working around it and working with you with technology um, in your home to make it, you know, to get us through. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, no, well, thank you for all, for all that you do. I know that we had only had a little time. Where can we follow you? So I am, I jumped into Instagram weeks before COVID the COVID-19 pandemic hit, not knowing that that was going to happen. Um, but it has turned into a place where I can give back and kind of share tips on taking care of teens and tweens during this time and just in general. And so it's at teen health doc mm-hmm. on Instagram. And that's where I'm sharing the most information. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank right, you take both. good care. Take good care of yourself. Uh-huh. And we'll talk soon. And you guys take care of yourselves this, co- too. this conversation cannot be over because <laughs> there's so much more to cover. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All, All right. right. Thank take, you. Take care. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you guys taking the time to make, to lift my spirits today. This is a fact. So that was Hina. And, and I have to say something that really, I just, I so appreciate hearing the you know, her takeaways as, as first and foremost, a mother and a physician and the way that she is navigating for her own mental sanity, how she's making sense of it, how she's, you know, just absolutely gone above and beyond to be of service to her neighbors, but, but 
also doing it in a way that keeps her family safe um, is really powerful and impressive. And I loved her, thought she shared so many great insights that parents everywhere, doctors or not, can take home. Although I definitely want to get on, get on, get in on her mommy doctor crew as like an imposter. I know. Um, could, we, could we be imposters? We could be Dr. Be? Larry and Dr. Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Here your specialty? Um, having uh, many but, children? No, like, well, that's, I mean, help, you, you are pretty expert and as am I in, in dealing with like the, you know, the normal, the normal weird stuff that happens with kids. And um, anyway, just, just found her so reassuring. I, I, you know, I'm in constant awe. I know she rejected the label of hero but you know i don't think there's anything i think heroes are heroes because they do recognize the fears they do recognize the dangers and they go into it the battle of it anyway and it's people like her and doctors like her and and the nurses and everyone who's on our front line um you know helping to to get america back on our feet just you know have all of my thanks and appreciation and just total awe so she's so cool i hope we will get to have more conversations with her where my connection will not cut out 